Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. Everybody's got set up in the middle of this bedding thicket. Oh, saving this spot from the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice buck. <laughs> It's a 170. That was money. I think he's down right over there. 10 yards. Woo! Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Coming at you with the legend. We got... The Fall Podcast, Aaron from The Fall Podcast coming on. He shot an absolute giant Iowa <laughs> and had an absolute epic hunt. He breaks it d- down day by day in this episode. Um, we're going to go back to the legends. We're going to do some more tactics. It's kind of getting uh, – it's not – deer season isn't over. We're not done hunting, but we're going to get back into the flow of uh, some 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 solid content. We're not as hunting near as hard as we were, so hopefully – I know we're going to do one episode to catch us up on the season, but hopefully you won't hear our voices every week of just us <laughs> talking. Um, uh, let's get into the, the partners, and uh, we'll get into the show. I'm going to start off with Ingram's Outdoor Obsession. Um, any, guy, any guy in the local area, Ingram has been taking in a ton of bucks. Um, if you're looking to get your any taxidermy work, um, coyote, he just got in some coyote pelts to do, any, any hide tanning, uh, any skull work. Um, I heard he might mouse. have another uh, couple custom mouse to do this year. Does it really? Yeah. Oh, really? Nice. I know that he got like he, that turkey on the counter. He got like three or four turkeys from people bringing in deer. They're like, "Oh, I got a turkey in the freezer. I've been oh, waiting." Nice. So he's got uh, quite a few turkey full bodies to do. Um, that's pretty cool. So any of your taxidermy needs, uh, Ingram's Outdoor Obsession is your guy. 
Um, let's get into ECW calls. Um, I did not take the grunt tube on Rainer's first hunt. I forgot oh. it at the house. I was, I was, was really they, upset about that. You had a lot of shit going on. Had a lot of stuff going on, uh, but uh, that would have been really cool to have him out there. And uh, he did ask about it though, so I was I was like, ah, we left it at the house. We'll get it next time. So next time I'm gonna have to get it before I even leave, or he's gonna be devastated while I'm out there. But uh, any any uh, calls that you need, grunt tubes, goose seasons in, ECW calls is your go-to. Um, let's get into the VIP veteran broadhead. Four Blade is out. Combat veteran is out. We're doing some, or homie's doing some editing work on that. Yeah. Um, you guys be able to see that at ATA. Um, I'm sure that video will be released uh, after ATA uh, for people to see. So we're excited to kind of be the forefront of the, the Four Blade, um, getting that out to the people. Um, if you guys have any questions about it, go ahead and message us, White to Legacy Podcast, um, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we love we love messaging our listeners. And if you have any questions about the broadheads, let us know. We'll uh, we'll get you up to date on it. Um, you got a VIP veteran broadhead shout out? Yes, this week's VIP veteran broadhead shout out is Joseph Brown. He was in the U.S. Army for eight years, and he served one tour overseas. So Joseph, uh, we can't thank you enough for your service from everybody here at. Whitetail Legacy and the VIP family, man. Yeah, thank you, Joseph. Uh, we appreciate your service. So we can put this podcast out every Wednesday and uh, crack a crack a oat oat was it oat soda? Is that what he called? Them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oat soda. It was really Pretty quick. Solid. I, I missed yeah. it, but yeah, it was something like that. Um, but okay, let's get into Scentlock. Um, I got to shout out the odds bag. That thing's been super solid all year. Um, I just had it in the dining room tonight. I'm like, man, this thing is still two years of like insane abuse in the truck out of abuse in the house and you know just ins- and it's still there's nothing wrong with it nothing zippers no tears oz machine still works and that's two years of hardcore use when other products last me like six months of use, <laughs> right. you know what i mean yeah, in the yeah. uh, in the oz line so um shout I out to use that. a camera arm one time lost a spring yeah i know yeah <laughs> use a camera arm homie's camera arm one time it's got the fancy cool kid arm lose a spring right off the bat so can't have anything nice, but the Oz bag's still decent. Yes, yes. So, all right, let's get into the show. All right, we got Aaron Blicey on from the Fall Podcast. How you doing tonight, man? Good. What's going on, fellas? Glad uh, to be on here with you guys. Thanks for uh, asking me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm excited to hear your your stories of you know, the hunt this year. It sounds like we got a little pregame in. Sounds like it was pretty epic, pretty grueling, but uh, we're doing good. We're out here. In the studio, finally, we haven't yeah. been out here forever. It feels like we've been on the road or hunting or in the car. In the, in the Re- meat wagon. Yeah, <laughs> in the work car <laughs> recording, but it's nice to be out here back in the the regular flow of things, and you're kind of like our the first episode we've done after our hunting crazy vacation time, so it's nice to be back in the flow of things. For sure, man. That's I'm the same way. Uh, I've been wanting to hunt, you know, getting back off the off the road here for a little over a month. I mean, I was on the road over 40 days this year and now we're back and it's around Thanksgiving and I'm just, I want to get out hunting, but I'm like, man, I like to sleep in right now too. <laughs> and, you know, do some family time. And, and, uh, this season was pretty grueling, but it, it, it paid off in a big way. So I, I'm excited. Yeah. I did the same thing. I told homie, I said, I'm going out definitely today. And then <laughs> I was like, ah, I want to get my trail cams on. I made some excuses. I'd be like, I'm going to go out tomorrow. But I got a bunch of stuff done today that I wanted to get done, and it feels good to be able to just knock that stuff out when you finally get back, get home, get settled in, sure. and 
but hang out with the kids some, wrestle them, and then yep. <laughs> give me a couple of days. I'll get back after it. But um, let's yep. go ahead and give like a short um, preview for the listeners of who you are, what you do, and where you're from. Yeah, for sure. Um, like you guys said, my name's Aaron Blasey. I grew up in central Michigan, um, right around the Wademan area to be exact. I'm about uh, about 10 minutes west of uh, Mount Pleasant, if anybody knows where Mount Pleasant's at. And I'm um, 32 years old. I've got a wife and a daughter. Uh, she's two and a half years old. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I grew up hunting. And, you know, ever since I was four years old, my dad's had me in the woods doing doing that kind of stuff. And, you know, here I am, 32, and still passing on the tradition and, and loving every minute of it. And uh, my day-to-day job is I'm a field producer, um, senior producer, and editor for the Kiefer Brothers. So, you know, whatever the Kiefer Brothers are doing, whether it be dropped or, you know, our new series, Humanimal, or our old series, Rival Wild, anything that they have really a hand in, I'm I'm pushing record on a lot of it and uh, pushing the buttons to edit it, so to put it on TV. So that's my day-to-day, so not not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's sweet. not a bad gig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that dropped. I watched it a lot. It was a super cool idea. Really liked it. And, uh, man, you guys killed some stuff on that. That was epic. You guys are getting, like, three tags and going out there and dropping three different species on a, on one episode. I was like, man, this is epic stuff. Yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty grueling, you know, with being out there. 30 days in a, in a row with no, no food until you, you know, you kill it or catch it. So that's, it's a lot of fun and it. And it makes you think a lot before you take a couple steps too, because out there in Alaska and, and uh, the Yukon and stuff like that, I mean, the wrong, one wrong step and you're, you can be toast. I mean, you're, you're just so far from civilization and you really got to think before you do things. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the epic film, like everything, I, we always talk about, you know, if you're in an epic place, you can get that epic film, and that's mm-hmm. something you've got to experience more doing that hunt-wise. You know, that's like a dream for a lot of guys, but you wake up like the fifth day, you're probably like, man, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'll so. tell you, the, la- the last drop we were on, we were in uh, northern Saskatchewan, really far north, and we were there. We got dropped on September 11th, I believe it was. And I think it was like September 13th, we had the uh, huge snowstorm hit. And from the whole month that we were there, it was a high of 25 and a low around 5 to 10. And it was just living in that every day in a tent. And it, you just, it gets to the point where you just want to get out of the cold just for a second. Yeah. You want to, oh, yeah. like, we could, we could build fires and everything, but it, it's not the same as just like going inside for a second and just like unthawing and just be like, man this is what I need, you know? Yeah. So that, that part was a little tough. And, you know, when you're out there trying to fish and, and you catch a fish and trying to get it out of the water and your hands are freezing and, you know, but it's all, all a good experience though, too. So was, was there cool. ever a point like towards the end, you just went like kind of crazy and just like freaking out, like this is so epic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, it got to the point where I don't know if I really went crazy, but I wanted, believe it or not, I wanted like some fast food. I wanted, I'm not like a big fast food guy, but I just wanted something different. You want some fried um, food. You're like, man, I just want just the greasiest yeah. burger yeah. I can get. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And you know, when we got done, we killed a moose on day 18. So all we had ate was fish and moose, um, which was good. But uh, we ate fish for the first 18 days. And then once we, we got, when we got, when we came out of the bush, we went into uh, a Wendy's or yeah, it was a Wendy's or KFC Wendy's, I believe. And, uh, I had, I ordered like everything, you know, when they say, you know, your, your, uh, appetite, <laughs> your appetite's bigger than, 
or your eyes are bigger than your appetite. Yeah. Well, I ordered everything and like you only eat like four fries and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm done. You know? <laughs> so you see in four ounces of fish. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So how uh how does your camera equipment I mean, how much extra camera equipment do you have to bring when you when you're like that out there? It just seems well, I mean, I know how our stuff gets tore up in the Midwest. Oh, dude, like terrible. Yeah. Well, it, it's a lot of, you know, we use solar panels sometimes to, to charge batteries, but we try to take enough batteries so we, you know, we ration them a little bit and, and know how much we're going to be filming out, a, you know, through a day. And um, there's not a lot of uh, daylight, you know, when you're in Saskatchewan or Alaska or something like that. So you're really, the days that you do get sunlight, you really want to, you know, get those solar panels out there and, and really charge your batteries. But um I think the most cases we ever took was 28, like Pelican cases with camera gear in it, like camera gear, drones, you know, like all the whole nine yards, you, you name it. We, we had it. And, um, but you know, you consolidate that to, to like Orvis dry bags and everything to get them in because the Pelican cases are just so cumbersome and everything. So when you get there and get ready to get on the plane, you try to consolidate a little bit to make your, your load a little I think smaller, we've messed so. up our lav mic like four times. Oh, dude, the lav mic's so, <laughs> it's trooping, though. Yeah, it's trooping. Caught it on a branch and all kinds of stuff. 20-foot so. fall. Yeah, 20-foot fall. So I'm like, man, out there like that, we'd have to have like six lav mic setups. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Be For brutal, sure. But All right, well, let's get, get in the reason that we have you on the show. Um, you had an epic uh, season in Iowa or hunt in Iowa this year. You killed a... You know, a legendary buck, as we like to uh, call it, a legend of the woods. But uh, just kind of go into that hunt, um, why you went out to Iowa and uh, break down the hunt day by day, and then, of course, the kill, and what you what you think after the kill. For sure. Well, you know, and like you said, you know, grow, I, being in Michigan and, and growing up in Michigan, you know, you it's you don't get opportunities at bucks like this and not a lot of people do in general you know he's he's a deer of a lifetime for sure and um i've been saving up iowa points the last couple years and and going into this year i had three iowa points so knowing you know usually with a non-resident in the zone that i'm going to we know a couple guys that would draw three going to four but usually it's like you have four points you're going to draw well, this year when we were sitting down and doing our hunt schedule and trying to figure out what we wanted to do, and not a lot of people know this part about the story, but um, I didn't even know I got this tag for the longest time. I didn't even know I got put in for it. So the plan was I was going to hunt Kansas this year in Michigan, and Iowa we were just going to put in for a point, and I was going to go hunt Iowa next year because Casey and I could hunt together then because he was going to have possibly an Iowa tag next year. So – we use a service called WTA, Worldwide Trophy Adventures. And basically what you do is, you know, they take your, you know, they put you in for tags and they float the money for putting in for tags, like these big hunts and everything. And then if you draw the tag, then you reimburse the money and then you go on the hunt. That's kind of how it happens. Well, I guess there was some miscommunication uh, in the lines of all that stuff. And once the Iowa drawings came out, I had a, I had a, you know, my tag came in the mail and when I got home, it was like, well, here's the department of natural resources from Iowa. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder what this could be. <laughs> Open it up. And it says, Aaron Blasey, congratulations. You've been granted your non-resident Iowa archery tag. And I said, Holy shit. 
I said, what happened here? Like I haven't, and I'm, I'm kind of, you, I kind of got like uh tingly in a way, like this isn't supposed to happen, but this is really cool that it happened. It was like a, like a good problem to have kind of thing. And uh, I called WTA to make sure everything was good. And, and they went back in their records and they're like, Oh yeah. You know, you said to, you wanted to be put in for the tag. And I went back to the email, long story short, I said, I wanted a point, but for some reason they thought I wanted the tag. I got the tag. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Iowa. So uh, kind of fast forward through the summer. Um, with, you know, Chris and Case have a really good friend out in Iowa. His name's Chad Johnston. He actually runs a, an outfitter, kind of a small private outfitter. It's called uh, Midwest Antler Company. Well, Chris and Casey have been, been really good friends with Chad for years. I mean, 15, 20 years. And uh, he's kind of got a deal with Chris and Casey that, um, well, we have a lease there, but he kind of helps us out with the lease. And the years that we don't hunt it, um, they don't really outfit it. We just, he kind of maintains it for us. And whoever draws in our party, we can come out and hunt the lease and we can stay with him. So it's not like we're on an outfitted hunt. We do everything DIY ourselves. He just gives us a place to, to stay and you know he helps maintain the property when we're not there so that's kind of how it is um so that's what we we're doing you know we went out there in october casey was like i'm filming you i want to film you uh you know roll reversal kind of thing so you know early october we went out there for four days and got hit with rain um i was able to kill a doe and a coyote so that was pretty cool came home and then you know went back there in the rut and you know we were hunting kansas Casey was hunting Kansas and I was filming him and I got the worst case of poison Oak, uh, one day mm. and I had it in my face, my right eye, everything, my right eye, every morning I'd wake up, it was swelled shut. And, uh, we just weren't seeing a lot of the rut action we wanted to see. And this was going right through Halloween. I think it was November 1st. Um, Chad called and, and we were like, Hey, what's going on up there? He's like, it's getting ready to kick in hot here. So we're like, okay, we're packing up. We're going to come up there for like eight days or so or a week. So right then we packed up, drove three hours North and the second of November we're in Iowa and it kind of hit me then I'm like, Holy crap, I'm in Iowa and I'm, I'm hunting, you know, this is like, you kind of have to sit there and, and like, just take it, take it all in kind of like this is a dream hunt for a lot of people, you know, and it's like this Iowa tag doesn't come about every year. And, uh, I was excited to say the least when I came in there and knowing the, knowing the, the weather conditions that we had, I knew we were going to be in for a pretty, pretty epic week that I, I would think, you know, I, I'm just trying to think ahead and be like, ah, oh, you know, this is Iowa. There's two hundreds around every tree, you know, like everybody <laughs> says, you know? Um, but no, it, my whole intentions were to go in there and shoot a four-year-old. I wanted to shoot a four-year-old and I wanted, I, I don't try to get up on the inch thing, but my biggest buck at this point was, is 130 inch deer. I wanted something that's a little bigger than that. And I wanted it to be at least four years old. So mature deer, 130 inch deer. Um, and that's what I was looking for. And boy, I did not realize what was about ready to happen the next six days. I can tell you that. So, um, yeah, it was just exciting to, to, to get the, the hunt started. Yeah, I could see going to Iowa. I mean, especially someone from Michigan. I feel like me going to Iowa, like where I live, I could drive two miles and <laughs> yeah. kill the same quality deer. You know what I mean? But for someone that's from Michigan or, you know, down south or something, they're like, oh, Iowa, it's the land of the giants. You know what I mean? And yep. Especially if you had a lease already planned out, you probably had an idea of what deer were kind of there already. 
So you had well, a... we actually didn't. Um, so the thing was, when we were there in, in October, uh, we're really good friends with this farmer that's good friends with Chad there as well. And and he leases a piece of ground. It's 240 acres. He leases a piece of ground, and uh, older gal owns it. Older lady that's she's like 80 some years old, and uh, we've been looking at this piece for like four or five years, and. We've been wanting to get in there, but she just will not allow anybody to go in there. Well, our farmer buddy, he, for like the last two years, has not been able to harvest his crops off of it because of the deer damage. So he wanted, you know, us to be able to lease it, go in there and lease it to kill some of the deer so he can, you know, harvest his crops. Literally this year, his beans did not get over five inches in height because the, the deer just, Wow. Just demol- just demolished him. Yeah. And uh he we, we kinda of planted the sea. We're like, why don't you go, you know, when we were there in October, we had to leave and he's like, you know, why don't why don't you go in there and, and see if we could get permission, you know. So we we're trying to pull an angle through the farmer. <laughs> so, so Gotta do what you there. gotta do, man. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. And and you know, we didn't know what was on this farm, honestly. Honestly, God had no idea what was on this farm. Nobody had hunted it. Uh, Chad has never been on this farm and he grew up in that area. He has literally no idea, no stands are set on this thing, nothing. We didn't even think we were going to probably get it. Um, so, uh, you know, Lonnie went in there and, and his third time was a charm. He, he ended up, you know, swinging her and he was like, yep, you guys are good to go. So we leased it up. So going into it, we had no stands hung or nothing. And Casey and I just started scouring, you know, the, the maps, e-scouting and figuring out what we wanted to do there's a lot of crp in this farm and it's there's like some cedar ditches in it with some crop um so it's a big crp farm and my plan and and casey is the same as well wanted we wanted to get somewhere high we wanted to do a hang and bang get in somewhere high where we could see the whole thing and monitor more like an observation stand and then if you know something was really showing up that we you know really needed to move in on that we would do that but we weren't going to hang any cameras or nothing we're going to go on there and do it all on foot and just see what happened for the week and that was our game plan going into it i think sometimes i think hanging cameras is or not hanging cameras is smart because i feel like sometimes the people that hang a lot of cameras they get cool pictures but they don't kill any deer <laughs> yeah <laughs> i agree we know agree. like me and homie we don't pull cams unless we're hunting pretty much you know like yeah. what we right before season what we pull like 15 cams or something that have been setting since like for the whole month yeah for yeah. the whole month and we like right before season we pulled everything and made sure there was nothing that was like here you go you know something's daylight right, yep. but uh we uh we don't go in there and pull them unless we are hunting because I think it just puts so much pressure on the deer that it ain't worth going in there. For sure, you know, and and another my angle on the camera thing as well was, and a lot of guys that you know have rutcations and everything like that and only have maybe a week to hunt in in November. My thought was that this they'll relate probably to this. My thought was it's going to be the rut. Um, I know there's going to be a shooter on this that I will want to take. I, I just had that feeling. I knew there would be a deer there that we'd want to pursue. Um, and then I felt like, just like you said, you know, the pressure on the farm and trying to figure it out. Like we could have went in there and tried to find some scrapes and put cameras on scrapes just to get inventory. But then 
I fall into it here in Michigan. It's like you just you zig, they zag, and you just you lay so much ground scent down sometimes, and the pressure. And it's like I just didn't want those head games either. I just wanted to go in and hunt and just be just be open as open can be and let's see what happens and that was kind of our mindset and you know ended up working out and it and it helped going into the first so we went in we didn't hunt the first morning because we got in uh really late at night it was like two three o'clock in the morning we didn't hunt the first morning i shot my bow and we grabbed two millenniums and we were gonna go in that evening so we went in like midday found the stand we wanted to be in hung it sat it and first night I had 170 inch clean 10 with split G2s come out at 130 yards. And I said, I turned around to Casey. I said, I'm not leaving this farm until that deer's done. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, and that was, I, I honestly, I wasn't even thinking of a trail cam at that point anymore. Cause I was like, yep, there's deer here. And I saw 140 inch, uh, 10 point with, it was like a three-year-old and like another hundred 30 i think or 140 inch deer off in the distance so i'm like okay there's there's three bucks here that are for sure you know if they're here i know there's going to be something else here so that was that was uh, that was also promising the first night yeah man that has to be super exciting no trail cams going there first night boom 170 you're like oh yeah (laughs) yeah we say it all the time if you can find a piece and they're hard to find like that but we kill big deer on crp like well, that's all we hunt, you know. I mean, that's literally all our property yeah. is is CRP. Yeah, and they love it, man. Those big deer. Yep. There's a little timber in CRP. They absolutely love that, and we get messages all the time like, "What's CRP?" <laughs> but just <laughs> yeah. tall grass. That's yep. like what I yep. tell them. Just tall grass. But uh, um, and then another thing, we hunted a a lot of public this year, and we ran trail cams, but we didn't run them to like kill deer. We just ran them basically to say, "Is there a deer here that we would like to target?" You know what right, I mean? Yep. And yep. you seeing them the first night, you're like, wow, I don't even need to run trail cam. I know <laughs> yeah. there's something here I'd yeah. shoot. So. Yep. And to go back to your CRP, CRP is my favorite. It, it is, you know, and we don't have a lot of it here in Michigan. So, you know, you can't hunt like we do out there here. But CRP, if you can get me a, you know, a CRP field with some cedars in it, I don't even care the size of cedars. Uh, that's, that's what I'm going to take all day, every day. I love sitting in cedar trees, and I love looking over CRP. End of story. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing we're finding is it's got to be CRP with some timber close to it. Like it, it yep. needs some substance close to it, yeah. and then it's just absolute fire. If you get a CRP sure. that's kind of solo with not a lot of timber around it, it's good, but it's not near as good. It's like they love the grass, and they're going to – play that transition edge where those the grass is on the timber line but yep. they gotta have the timber to go into you know that they that's where they like to be but they love that they love that edge of the grass so. yep yeah and, and this farm like i said the best way to describe it is if you can picture a crp field um and then go in the middle of the crp field running north and south make a big indent so it's like the bottom of two hills coming down in and at the bottom of that hill in the middle there was uh, a big cedar ditch that ran to the north and south and when it got to the south it teed and it was cedar ditch east and west and every deer that we saw was walking that north south cedar ditch it seemed like every good deer and uh that'll play into the story here in a little bit but yeah that's like you're talking about substance and having 
they like to me deer like having some sort of uh object or something to be able to go out and you know walk by or they it seems like they always hug near something like that whether it be autumn olives or whether it be some pucker brush or cedars you know something like that yeah, you they think, like to go near that you think you see this crp field you're like oh it's gonna be stuff running right across <laughs> it and if there's a low spot they'll come out in it you know there's like a waterway or something in the crp yep. but if yep. they just don't just like anything they don't like big open oak timber like you walk into it you're like man this is just beautiful you know you imagine deer running through it but you don't see them because they don't like that openness so sure. uh, yeah that's just what i was gonna say like they want to get out into the open so they can see, but they want to feel still secure. And if that grass is up and tall enough, yeah. they can yep. just see, you know, a deer, that doe just up there moving around or, you know, maybe an open spot where the deer is bedded down or something. And then, but they still have that, they, the feel of that security to where they can just sneak through that grass a little bit and get out to where, you know, they're away from the timber, but they still feel secure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I agree hundred percent. Oh, yeah, so go ahead. So you hunted the first day. You seen a 170. I mean, that's a heck of a hunt. <laughs> yeah. 170, a 140, another one, 130, 140. And then uh, yep. so there's three bucks that you're potentially wanting to shoot. Yep. And one of the tens, uh, he was a three-year-old. So I, he was 140 and three-year-old. And I wasn't going to shoot him. I, I told myself I'm not coming here for a three-year-old. That's, I'm not going to shoot something, you know, that I could possibly shoot at home. Now, um, a three-year-old I can shoot here at home. 140 and three-year-old. I mean, it could happen, but I, I just, that just wasn't in the question for me. I, I needed, I wanted a mature animal and one that, you know, I was more likely wasn't going to kill at home. Um, so yeah. And you know, what made this farm and this stand, we called this, we hung this stand and we, what we called it was tiny dancer. We named it tiny dancer. And because <laughs> the reason being it's a cedar tree, I've got a picture of it. Uh, Casey put his finger, his, his, his pointer finger and his thumb around the around the the tree and they were touching that's how thin it was and every time you'd get up there you know if you even breathe or move the wrong way this tree is just all over you know it's just swinging so we named it tiny dancer so that was the name of the stand and um yeah so we you know first night we got in there and and like i said what made this so great was there was entry from the north and the south so if we had a whole bunch of deer come by us and go to the north we were exiting the south and vice versa. So our, en- our entry and exit were bulletproof in here. We never spooked a deer ever going in or coming out, not one time. Um, we, were, we were really cautious with that. A couple nights we got pinned in for like 45 minutes to an hour after dark that we had to sit in there. And that's just the you know things you got to do sometimes. Um, so, yeah, the first night had a good night. We get back in that stand the next morning, and behind us we have a cornfield. We're, we're on the edge of a cornfield, and uh, – Casey's facing the cornfield and I'm facing all the CRP and got it out in front of me and it's getting daylight and I'm, I'm glassing deer with my binos and I can see deer. They just look like little ants and they're all over the CRP. They're everywhere. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, it's not even daylight yet. And I'm just, Oh, there's a deer. There's a deer. There had to have been like 15, 20 deer. And, uh, all of a sudden there's some deer working up towards us and everything and getting close. And like, this is awesome. As the sun comes up and, and, uh, Casey goes, deer coming from behind. And I look back and he goes, it's the big one. It's the 170. And we named him Deuce because of his, his double split twos. And he's like, it's Deuce. I look back and he's already at 10 yards broadside. And I got to stand up, grab my bow and get around and, and shoot him. And uh, he's downwind of us. 
and Casey's filming them. And I got up to my feet and I grabbed my bow, got it knocked, got my release knocked and everything and clipped on. And I go to draw and I can't find a hole. There is just tr- limbs everywhere. And he's just standing there, you know, 10 yards, like, what are you doing? And I'm trying to draw and trying to find a hole and I could not. And all of a sudden he just walked off, walked out of my life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Same deer from the night before. We should be done right now, you know, and the way I equate it to, you know, growing up in Michigan, you, you have this mindset that you're only going to have one opportunity. You work your whole season for one opportunity at a deer. And I just had my one opportunity and I feel like I just, you know, I, I couldn't capitalize. So I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I'm done. I mean, what it's kind of heartbreaking, but it's like, okay, wait a second. It's only the first morning you're in Iowa. So just stop, you know, pissing and moaning and get ready. Cause there's going to be another deer coming by. <laughs> so yeah, and I think right after that, he walked off, and I waited a little bit and did a blind rattle session and had, like, a big nine come through. He's, like, a 150-inch nine and nice four- or five-year-old, and he was a big deer. And uh, saw a good eight that morning. Um, he was probably 140-inch eight, just an old. He was probably He was probably the oldest deer on the farm. He was probably 140-inch, just a big massive like big framey deer like when you i know you guys know like a big framey deer is when you see him you're like holy shit that's a big deer um and he's he's just got beams for days and he's running does all over so i'm like man this is this is great you know does are running all over bucks are running there's shooters everywhere what else can you ask for you know this is the first i'm in iowa (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is and um, I remember the morning kind of fizzled out and we decided to get down, leave everything in the tree. And we we're like, we're, we're going to ride the stand until we kill. I mean, that was just our, our game plan. Um, and honestly, we, we hunted every day that we were there and we hunted all day for at least all day, but like an hour, hour and a half at the most, maybe two hours we'd come in for in uh, midday, but it wasn't a lot. It was usually a get out get a bite to eat, get back in. So that was, that was kind of it. And you know, <laughs> the, the, the next couple of days kind of blend together because there's so much action going on and so many, it's like, Oh, I saw this deer again. I saw this buck. I saw this shooter. I saw this one. And it was, it was a lot of the same stuff, but uh, went in that next nut or that, that night and same thing. And thing was, it was cold, but it wasn't like real cold. I mean, it was probably, mid to high 30 so it was like good sitting weather um got in there and, and we were seeing does seeing bucks off in the distance little bucks and uh i think we saw another shooter that night but nothing close and that kind of wrapped up day one um and what first you know all day sitting day one and uh decided to get back in that stand again that next morning and when we did uh that big nine showed back up again and he was like running up the hill across the way from us, probably, oh, he was 250 yards, maybe 200, 250 yards. And when I, he was down the bottom in these cattails and I could not see him. And all of a sudden I just see a glisten of his antlers and he's running up the hill. And I just grabbed the rattling antlers and I just cracked them together twice. I just cracked them and then, the, you know, did like a, just a sequence just real quick. And he turns and looks right at us. And then he does that, like, he turned his head, but then he turned his body to get a better look. And I'm like, oh, he's he's coming for sure. 
right when I said that to myself, here he comes on a dead run. And I'm like, oh, God, get your bow. It's coming. He's, he's coming. You know, so then it's like pure chaos mode. Like, okay, what's, what's, where's he going to come in from? What way is my wind going? Do I need the grunter in my hand? Like, what, what's going on? Like, all these thoughts are going through your head, and I'm freaking out. And uh, heart's running a mile a minute. He goes down in this ditch, and I can't see him. So I took that time to be like, get my bow and turn. And when I turned, he's coming on the weak side of the tree, if that makes sense. So me being a righty, it'd be perfect for a lefty from the way he was coming in. And uh, the cedar tree we were in, it was like an upside-down umbrella. So the deer, all the deer that were coming tight to us, they had to be like 20 to 25 yards out for me to see them. If they were within that, I could not see them because the cedar tree was so thick. So that was running through my head. So I'm ready. I'm clipped on. And all of a sudden, he comes over the hill, and he's coming right at us. And now he's on kind of like a, a brisk walk, basically. He gets to about 50 yards and stops. And I'm skyline because we're on the edge of a – we're in a fence row, basically. I'm skyline, so I'm trying to, like, hug this little tree that's as big as a water bottle. And um, he gets to, like, 35. And I, honestly, my, my, my thought process was I needed to draw because I need, I, he was going to come tight to me and I wasn't going to be able to get a shot. I needed to draw and hopefully he would turn and give me a little bit of that, you know, maybe, you know, front shoulder or right behind the front shoulder. And I was just going to take him. So I go to draw and he like, he stopped right in his tracks and he kind of looks, he didn't look at me, but he like looked up like, okay, there was something up there. Where was it? And he's a move again kind of thought. And I'm like, shit, he got me, you know? So then we pass that test. He puts his head down, flicks his tail and walks about five more yards. And I go to draw again. And he freaking stops again and does the same thing. And I'm like, damn it. Like he's, you know, he's, he knows I'm here now. And he, he's, we pass the test again. He flicks his tail. When he put his head down, he kind of went halfway down. And that's when I went to draw the full and he got me that time. And mm. all he did was he was at 35 yards. All he did was just kind of, Hmm, something's not right there. Uh, but I heard a fight up here. So it's gotta be somewhere around here. He turned to walk away and Casey stopped him and I was at full draw with it on his heart, but I had the biggest hedge apple limb going through his vitals and I couldn't shoot him. And I'm like, no. So all he did was turn around and just walked off. It wasn't like he was afraid or anything. He was, he was all good, but it was like, there goes your second opportunity. You dummy. Why'd you try to do that? You know? So, but in hindsight, I'm like, man, should I have just let him come out and work around the whole tree and hopefully he doesn't come tight and then shoot him on the backside. I don't know. You know, it's just the angle he was at and, you know, the limbs. Because, you know, when you go in there for a hang and bang, we don't really like to cut a lot of limbs if we don't need to. And that was one that really, really messed with us. So, you know, first three sits in and we got two limbs that are in the way and we can't kill the two biggest deer of my life, a 150 and a 170. So. <laughs> Uh, I would say, yeah. and it always sucks. Like in the moment you're trying to do the right thing or what you think is the right thing. So you're trying to be patient because you know, if you rush a shot because you rushed a shot two years ago, it bitch in the ass. So you're just trying to wait and be patient and let things play out. And you know, deer's kind of spooking. He's on edge. So yep. you don't want to push well, it. Exactly. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head, you know, last year I, I rushed a shot on, on the Jim Abbott deer here in Michigan and I really bit myself in the butt and, and I worked all summer, you know, trying to fix that and really trying to slow my process down and everything and just kind of think and, 
And uh, that was a thought that did go through my head. I will not lie to you. So I, I did think about that. But, yeah, I mean, that was <laughs> two opportunities and with nothing to show for it was was kind of – it kind of sucked. I mean, and I know I'm sure you guys have been there too. Is You know, you sit down, he walks away. You sit down and in case you're not kind of talking in the tree and it's like – man, what, what should I have done differently? Or, you know, and he was kind of the same thing. He's like, man, I, I probably would have done the same thing. Like, you know, I, do you let him try to go over in hindsight, you know, you let him try to get around you or not. And it, it's like, it's one of those things you just kind of got to brush off. You're like, you still got a week here, you know, and it, it's the rut. It's a week. Let's just sit down and, and let's see what happens. And that's what we did. And that night uh, we, we went out that night and, we didn't see a shooter that night, but saw a lot of does. Um, so going into it, you know, we're like, there's enough shooters here. And honestly, and I don't want this to sound bad or anything or sound, you know, however you want to take or however anybody wants to take it. But I knew that I was guaranteed to get an opportunity at one of these deer. I, I just knew in six days, I knew I, or seven days, I knew I was going to get an opportunity, another opportunity at one of these deer. I don't know who it was going to be. You know, but I just knew I, I, I've never felt so guaranteed in my life. I don't know why I had that feeling. And it could be just because I saw five, <laughs> four or five shooters in the matter of three sits and had two of them within bow range. So um, in the in the way the does and the bucks were acting, it was just it was unbelievable. Rut. It was, and, and I'm kind of leaving out a lot of the other stuff. There's there's little bucks and there's, you know, good like two and three year olds like. 130 140 inch three-year-olds chasing buck or chasing does all over you know so it's like great action it's non-stop you know but the midday stuff was not really working out we'd hunt till 11 12 o'clock in the afternoon and it would really fizzle out about 8 30 9 o'clock and we were we'd see a couple scragglers you know little fawns or spikes or something roll through 9 10 o'clock and it was like well you know they're probably not on their feet right now that's because we weren't really seeing it so that's why we were going in and coming back out so uh the next day we go back in the same stand and and you know carbon copy of the the previous morning other than we didn't have a shooter in distance but there was uh there was a shooter i think the big eight was back um saw him cruising and uh the nine the nine started being a frequent flyer he was he was around he was and he was really receptive to calling and uh we caught a glimpse of him going through the brush and couldn't really get him in, uh, into bow range, but does all over And that morning off in the distance. I could see a long way. I picked my binos up and I was really, I was glassing like, a, you know, 800 to a thousand yards away. And I just had this deer in the CRP field way off run through my binos. And I'm like, Holy cow, what was that? And I'm trying to get back on him. I get back on him. All I see is tines going down into the stick bedding area. And I'm like, holy crap, that's a big deer. And uh, right after that, the morning was kind of winding down. And I told Casey, I said, he had to go back and he had to do some work. Um, it was mid midweek. He had to send some emails and everything. And I'm like, I'm going to go hang a stand on that bedding area and, and let's do a hang and bang and hunt there tonight. He's like, all right. So we got down. I went and got another stand, hung it, went back and got Casey, got in the stand. So we did hunt on there there was beans there and we were right on the edge of bedding got in the stand had a good like two or three year old come right underneath of us right underneath of us and uh he was out we saw 12 does that night 
and he was out chasing those does, snort wheezing all over, chasing them around, never saw the shooter. So my plan was then, it was like, I want to get back into Tiny Dancer in the morning and see what happens then. So we went back that next morning to the Tiny Dancer stand and had the big nine show up again and, and grunted him into, this was the weird thing, grunted him. He was kind of going up the same hill he did before and hit him with a couple grunts and on a dime, did the same trail, did the exact same thing that he did when he caught me drawing. But this time he came to 60 yards and it was almost like he put the skids on and was like, okay, deja vu. I've been here. I did this before the morning before <laughs> with a rattle. I probably shouldn't go any farther. And what he did is he jumped up into the corn and we're like, okay, he's going to come to the corn edge because he's got security cover now. And he never ended up coming up the edge or nothing. We never saw him again. So that was, uh, that was the next morning <laughs> and he shows up again. Trust me, later in the later in the the week, and it was another heartbreaking moment. But yeah, I don't know that it's four or five different shooters in the matter of you know three days now, and it's like, like I said, it's just more of a when is this going to happen kind of thing. I knew it was going to happen just when. So you drew on more shore, had the opportunity to draw on more shooters <laughs> right? than I have in a whole entire season in a couple of days. So that's pretty epic. Yeah, it was, it, it's, it was hard to, I mean, you go back at night and you're sitting there and going through your thoughts and, and everything and what happened. And I almost had to pinch myself. Like literally you were living a dream right now. This is like the most perfect hunt that you could ever dream of. And you're, and you're living right now and, and you haven't even shot an arrow yet. So that was, that was pretty cool. But you know, you have those, you have those times where you could see a rut. This was in my head. You could see a rut happen for two or three days, and then for the next three, it just shuts right off. You don't see oh, it here yeah. again. And I'm that is in my head, too. And I'm like, when is this going to shut off? This is too good to be true. I'm just waiting for the off button to be flipped on here, and, and we're done for. So, yeah, I, I've had, like, two really good days of rut activity, and then going to that third day expecting the same thing and just been at like a total heartbreak. Didn't even see a deer. Just like, what? We had what a day to day. Yeah. We and had, then this year it yeah. was day to day. We had one day we seen one shooter right at daylight and then we didn't see another deer the whole entire, we never left the stand. Nope. Sun up, sun down. And then the next day we seen five <laughs> shooters. Yeah. <laughs> and then like 13 does, same tree, same spot, seen like six small bucks, five shooters. We're talking like shooters <laughs> over 140-ish. Yeah, we didn't see a deer b an hour. Every hour we seen deer, Yeah, hour every, and a half. Yeah, yeah. We had, wow. we had deer at like 1240. We had one come five yards at 1240. Yeah. Couldn't get a shot. That's crazy. Walking right ass. And that, that was day to day. Same tree, same spot, and that was public land. It's like someone walks into public ground. They're like, man, this spot is junk. <laughs> and then the next day... There's a mid 170s through there, you know. What I mean, 50 yards yeah, from your stand. Yeah, mid 70 at 50 <laughs> yards. Crazy how that works, man. It's like a light it switch. It is crazy. It is, man, and it's like, you know, they're still rutting because they have to rut. I oh mean, yeah, yeah. Mother Nature tells them they have to rut. That's a lot of people are like, oh, we missed the rut. Well, we missed it because it happened at night. Well, they're like, oh, it's the weather. Well, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't, it could be raining, it could be snowing, it could be a hundred degrees. They are going to rut. You're just not going to see it because it's going to be after dark. Yeah. And that's, that's the tough part about it too, you know. Yeah, we had colder temps the day before. Yeah. Then we did, you know, the day after. The only thing different was less people, less people on the public that we've seen. That was the only, For sure. only difference, so. 
That's the only thing we could think that would. But, like, we talked to everybody that went, like, at the trucks at night. Nobody seen anything that day. And the next day was just. Just gangbusters. Yeah, just deer everywhere. (laughs) So, yeah. That's cool. But, all right. So, it's the next morning. You're in Tiny Dancer. How, How high were you in that tree? We were about eight feet. Eight feet, yeah. That's what I was yeah. thinking. So, me and homie, Six what, we, eight feet, yeah. what we shoot? What we maybe we were like twelve foot. We were uh, thinking in sunshine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We got. We were in a tree. That's. It was probably about. I, yeah, I was. I, I, I couldn't even put my camera up, fourth arrow arm. <laughs> I had to handheld it. It was so small. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I want to backtrack a little bit too. The night that we sat on the beans next to the the bedding area, um, Chad actually made a loop around the farm for us. And we're texting back and forth. And he, he, from a certain part of the road, you could see Tiny Dancer and you could see a little bit of the field, the CRP that, that we were hunting, but not a lot. There's parts where you can see it. And uh, we're sitting in the stand, go figure, and he, the stand by the bedding area. And he goes, there's a giant walking towards Tiny Dancer right now. And he's like, this is a deer you haven't seen. He's like, he's bigger than Deuce, bigger than the 170 that, that we've seen. And I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> well, Chad, just to kind of give a background on Chad, Chad's grown up in Iowa his whole life, big deer hunter. He only kills deer unless they're 175 or bigger. Like, he's he's killed some giants. I mean, in the 80s, you know, a lot in the 70s and the 60s, but he, you know, he doesn't get excited anymore until it's like a deer in the 170s, 175. Like, that's, so when Chad was like, this deer is a big deer, like, okay, it's a probably a pretty big deer, you know? Um <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, he's, and he's he's a jokester, too, so he's like, yeah, he was walking right up towards Tiny Dancer, and I'm like, get the hell out of here. He was not, and he goes, I swear to you, I'm not lying. Serious as a heart attack, this is what he was doing. I'm like, okay, so Tiny Dancer the next morning. So we're getting back in there. We're riding the hole. That's what we're doing. So we get in there, and then we had that nine, you know, grunted that nine in, and he was like, oh, I've been here before, ran and, and got in the corn and never saw him again. So after that happened... Um, we're sitting there and it was probably, I don't know, 45 minutes or so after that happened, um, grabbed the antlers and did a blind rattle session. And actually Casey was rattling this time. I think he was, he was facing the corn. So we were trying to pull something out of the corn. So he's like, let me rattle towards the corn. Cause I couldn't get around in the tree enough to rattle over there. And he's doing a, a rattle session. I look over it and all I see is a, is a wall of white tines running down the hill probably 130 yards from us um and he's going through some cedar so i can only catch every so often i can see tines and it's his left side and i said casey big deer big deer real big deer i just kept saying big deer big deer real big deer over here over here big deer and the deer comes down to where the cedars it was like almost you know whoever farmed it they made a they made a a trail that goes through the cedars and that was like the break in the cedars the trail and there was a big scrape right there we we realized that uh a couple days in and he gets there and he stops and i picked the binos up i'm like oh my gosh what is that and he turns and looks at me and i go holy shit i don't know what that is and it's the deer i ended up killing um yeah, cat's out of the bag. <laughs> I'm never I'm not very good with the with that, but he he's sitting there and I'm like that's a big deer and I did I had no idea what what he had going on in his head. I I could just see tines all over. And uh I didn't know he had a doe with him at that point. 
So I'm watching. I'm like, it was almost like a moment. Like, uh, what do you do now? Like, there he is. Like, you're like freeze. Like, what do you do? I grabbed the grunter and grunted a couple of grunted some chasing grunts as he, he wasn't looking at us. Cause I don't like calling when deer are looking at you. I feel like it's like a megaphone up there saying, Hey, I'm over here. And, uh, so he put his head down and I'd grunt. He'd look up. Well, when he looked up, I caught some of the corner of my eye and he had a doe with him in front of him. And I'm like, okay, we're not going to get him over here, you know? So we watched him come right down in front of us. Uh, 130 yards was the closest he got. But all these shooters, like I said, they were they were getting close to this, this cedar draw or the cedar ditch. And there was a couple cedars right there. Every shooter was going by. Everyone that we had an opportunity at, they were all going by it. So we start talking like, okay, we need to get a stand in that tree at some point and get really aggressive and, and try to kill one of these deer. Um, but we we never really had a lot of opportunities to do it because it was either something, one thing or another happened. You know, we were seeing so much activity throughout the day that we didn't want to leave or we got out for an hour and got back in or the wind was wrong. Um, it was just, you know, we just really didn't have a great opportunity. So this deer, he, the doe loses him because he's, he's really preoccupied on us. He heard a fight up there and he heard grunting. So he's like, should I go check that up there? He's literally standing under the cedar that I want to get the tree in or tree stand in. And he's on a licking branch. And I do some more grunts and he looks up and he turns and I'm like, okay, he's going to come up here. The doe is gone. I'm like he's going to come up here now, kind of flicks his tail, thinks about it, puts his head down. And then he starts trotting, walking, trotting away, not away, but like down the, the cedar edge. And he's going to try to find that doe. Well, he goes down in this bottom. We can't see him anymore. So then I look at Casey and I'm like, I, we got, we got to wait this deer out now. You know, we got to figure out and see if, if he'll come out of there and um he never came out of there we waited for a couple hours got down went back to the house for a half hour came back left everything in the tree cameras bow everything we're walking in on the edge of the cedar tree or see or this edge of this uh crp field going to tiny dancer i looked down and we could see a spike down there underneath the tree that we wanted to get the stand in and he's just standing there watching us <laughs> and, I, and i'm like man, that's really weird. Like I'm thinking to myself, there's gotta be a doe there because he's not leaving. And I'm like, well, why would he have a doe there? Like he's a little spike. Like why would he have a doe pinned down? So we keep walking. We're trying to stay low. And all of a sudden I kind of look over and I see this branch, this Oak branch down in the cedar ditch, just bouncing up and down. And I pick my binos up. I'm like, Holy cow, there's a big deer. And there's the big eight, the big framing eight that we had a couple days ago. He's just raking the heck out of this tree, and he never saw us. He, if he if he would have looked up and looked our way, he could have saw us. We were like a turd in a punch bowl out there, just walking around a CRP field. And um, we're like, okay, so we got down immediately. It took us 45 minutes to get to the tree, probably. I mean, we inched our way there. We finally got underneath the tree, and we were we were glassing him. So like Casey would go ahead, and I would glass and say, hey, okay, you're good. And then once he'd stop and I had to come up there, he would glass him and vice versa. We did this the whole way in. Finally got up in the tree. Once we got up in the tree and had a higher vantage point, we could see he had a doe pinned down in there in a deadfall. She was right in the middle of deadfall. And uh, we watched him the whole night. He got to about 80 to 100 yards, never came any closer, lost light. So we're like, okay, like this, here we go. You know, it's like, could it get any better? 
you know, is there, could it get any better? We went back that night and Casey and I were kind of talking and he named the big deer, he named him the great Hambino. Cause I'm, I'm a big baseball guy. I love baseball and, and, uh, you know, the Sandlot, the, the great Hambino in there, he was a big deer. So I got, we're going to name him the Hambino. And I told him, I said, I want to kill that deer so bad. I want to figure that deer out and kill him. And, uh, so the next day we go in there and tiny dancer again, get up in the stand. Same thing. It's like, we got in real early and we're, we're gearing, we're to kind of go back. We're gearing up for this really big cold front coming on Thursday. Would have been uh, November 7th, Thursday. And it was going to drop like 30 degrees in temperature. It was going to be like 16 degrees. And we knew something was going to happen that day. And, um, I believe this would be, this is Wednesday. So it was going to be the next day we get in the stand. This would be day five. And, uh, I'm glassing the field. He, he doesn't have camera light. I can shoot at this point, but I didn't think he, I thought he had camera light. I look over. Well, no. Okay. I'm sorry. The camera was, was acting up. It was, it was cold. And he's like, the camera keeps shutting off on me. So I like stand up and I turn back and I had some tricks I could do with it to, you know, keep it to stay on and uh, with the connections and everything. And when I fixed it and I turned around, I sat down, I looked at 20 yards and there's the nine at 20 yards. He came out of nowhere. He's in front of me at 20 yards. And I could see that he had antlers. I didn't know it was the nine at the, t- at the time. I could see it antlers and good antlers. And I picked the binos up and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's him. And he's coming right at the tree. He's he's gonna he's gonna come right to the base of it. And I go, case big deer. It's the big nine right here. I stand up, grab my bow. I looked at my pins. I'm like, I had enough light for sure. He comes right underneath the tree, and he starts leaving the way he had come from before, quartering away, 25 yards. I I like go to full. I get ready to go to full draw. I, I think I did. I did go to full draw, and I said can you get, can you, you know, see him? And he goes, I'm at 64,000 ISO. And I said, I just thought to my, he never said yes or no, <laughs> but I knew that that's way, way too grainy. And I knew it was, I wasn't going to be able to shoot him. So I had to let down and he, and he walked away. Props and I'm to like, you, oh, man. Oh my God. We had that gosh. situation this year. And I said, you got him? Homie said, yeah, I knew it was dark. Boom. <laughs> Dead deer. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, Casey didn't say yes or no. <laughs> and he's like, I could see him, you know, I could see it there. And when he said 64,000, I said, Nope, there's the storyteller took over me. And I, and I, I had a thought like, this is, it's not why I came to Iowa. Not mm-hmm. one, I, you know, I wanted to come there and have, yes, a good opportunity. I wanted to kill the biggest deer that I could, but I also wanted to be able to document it in a very cool way and, and get it done. So that's not how I wanted it to end. And the, the also, I mean, I think I could, I think I could cope with it. Cause there was, you know, we've been seeing some good bucks and we've had, you know, three, four, almost four opportunities in this stand now. So we had confidence in this tree. It was going to happen. Um, yeah. And it's just, it, it was, it was a tough pill to swallow. I can tell you that. Um, but yeah, and he walked off and it got daylight and same thing. I mean, saw good movement that morning, saw some, you know, good little bucks and, that nine point he he walked right down to that tree that he would or that we wanted to get in and when he walked by there that's that was the last straw we were both like okay we're taking the stand down we're going down there we're hanging it 
And that's what we did. We literally got down right then, pulled everything out of the tree, the millenniums and everything, loaded everything up on our backs, walked down there and found the tree. You know, we knew we wanted to be in that tree, have never been down there, like, because we had hardly ever set foot on this farm. Figured out a way we could get it in. Same thing. We hung the stand in probably 45 minutes and uh, got the lanes lanes cut and everything. But the thing was is, you know, you can kind of act as this ditch is like a fence rolling away. There's, there's, there's cedars in it. But on each side, if you have deer come on each side, east or west, you're going to be skyline because you got lanes on both ways. So behind us, we had hung some cedar boughs and, and, uh, and tied them up behind us to break up our silhouette. Cause all the deer were coming in front of me. Now I was facing East Casey was facing West. So all the deer were on the East side of this, this fence or this cedar ditch. So we hung it. We went back to the house real quick, grabbed a sandwich, got right back in and had probably honestly the worst night of hunting. We had that, that whole trip. We only saw like six does, um, and it just, we didn't see any bucks and it was almost to the point where you're like, well, did we make a mistake? You know, like, uh, did, should we have moved this stand? Um, and we ended up calling this stand the hot corner. So we had tiny dancer and I could see tiny dancer 130 yards away from us up the hill. And, uh, you know, the plan was to get in there in the morning and just ride the hole and it was going to happen. We, we figured. And so it came into the next morning, really cold. It dropped like 28 degrees. It was like 16 or 18 degrees that morning. And uh, we got in the stand frosty. It was the perfect morning, frosty, uh, you know, just, you could see deer's breath all over and, and uh, it was cold. I, it was real cold. We got in the stand and we're sitting there and, and I uh, heard a twig snap down to my right and there was two does that had started coming out and the sun hasn't even come up yet, but you could still see, you know, it was light. The sun hasn't even got over the horizon and I'm watching these does down below us and I'm kind of facing tiny dancer and I look up and I can see some deer coming over the hill right underneath the tiny dancer tree, right underneath of it. And I'm like, okay, I can see a doe. I can see another doe. I can see another doe. And I'm like, man, I got, I got to pick my binos up. I got to look up there and see if there's a buck. Cause I didn't want these deer underneath me to bust. Pick the binos up. Who do you think was underneath of it? The great Hambino at 10 yards, right underneath the tiny dancer stand. And he's pushing eight does around six or eight, or eight does <laughs> right underneath the stand. There and he's right underneath the stand. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And then it just hit me. Like I got this this really mad feeling in my body. Like you're an idiot. Why did you move? We had confidence in that tree, but then it's like, you have that, but then it's like, okay, he's, he's in front of me right now and he's coming towards me. So like, you got to get back in the moment here. And, uh, the does start working down towards us and that's what they've been doing all week. I mean, if they'd come underneath of us or come by us, they come right down to this tree where we're sitting. So I'm like, we just gotta let it happen. It's going to happen. And I think the does that were underneath of us really screwed us because they started walking up towards them. And I think they kind of kept them out too far from us because they're like, oh, we lost you last night. Now, there you are. We, we met up. Now we can go frolic somewhere else, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he we got epic footage of this deer and he was chasing these does 80 yards and he's, you know, lip curling, snort wheezing. He's got frost all over his back it almost looks like he doesn't have hair on his back and his breath's coming out of his mouth 
and he's snort wheezing and just like there's another little buck he's chasing this other buck off and i'm like man this is it's epic morning the sun was coming up behind him it was just unbelievable Uh... well these two does ran down in the ditch to our north and they went down the ditch and and all the all the rest of the deer went down there like he pushed them down in that ditch so they're gone so as he left I grabbed the antlers, did a rattling session, and I'm like, you know, thinking the wind was was coming from him to me, so I'm like, he's not going to be able to smell us. I wanted him to hear that because if he loses that doe, maybe he'll come back and, like, look for it, you know, hurt a fight over here, you know, trying to find another doe. Well, the way he ran, there's a road up there, and once you cross the road, there's literally nothing on the other side of the road. There's, like, hardly any timber. It's just a big grass field. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think they're going to go across that road. But what there was on my side, I mean, we were within 100 yards of a pond dam, and there's cedars all the way around it, and it's really thick. So we're like, he probably went up there with that doe and bedded up next to that pond dam. And that's the way we needed to take to, to exit. Because, you know, I said we had good entry and exit for Tiny Dancer. We didn't have great entry and exit for this one. It was north. He had to go to the north to enter or to exit, and then you had to come from the north to enter. So we're thinking, if he's up there, it got to the point where I got so cold, my feet got so cold, that I'm like, I, I can't stand it. I got to get down for a little bit. So we decided to get down for an hour. Like, let's just, you know, the, the movement, those were the only deer we saw. The movement really shut off. So let's get down, go get a bite to eat, leave everything in the tree, and get back in, we're going to sit the rest of the day. Only an hour. And uh, when we decided to get down, we made a huge loop. I mean, we went back towards the uh, southwest to go north. Like, we went 25 minutes out of our way to walk just to get around this pond dam. Hopefully, we had to act like he was there. We had to be like, okay, we know he's there. We don't want to spook him. So that's what we did. We got out. We had to charge some batteries because it was so cold. We lost like a lot of batteries that morning as well. So we went back, put batteries on charge at eight real quick. And uh, when we came back in, did the same thing, did this big loop to get back in. And we got in and it was, uh, it was 1230, I believe somewhere around there when we got in 12 or 1230 and we got in and sat up there and, and it was 29 degrees it, you know, it, it, the high was 29 that day. The sun was up, but it didn't feel like 29. It was like a warm 29, if that makes sense. It just, it was, it was comfortable. My laying system was perfect. It was just comfortable to sit there. And uh, about an hour into the sit, Casey said, "There's a deer coming from the north." And to our north, there's like a pocket of cedars right next to us, right up, right up next to us, and you cannot see anything coming from the north. Nothing. And these deer left to the north when we saw them that morning. And uh, a doe had shown up right behind us, right the way we came in. And when she hit our ground scent, she could, you know, could smell it a little bit. She was at 15 yards and her back was just all torn up. Like you could tell that she maybe had got bred, you know, a deer got up on her. She was just tore up and she was an adult doe by herself. And uh, she walked by, she walked at 15 yards, walked by, and she was going south. And I looked at Casey and I said, why is there an adult doe by herself on November 7th? 
like just cruising midday. Like why? That just didn't seem right, you know? And uh, he goes, do you have a shot down there? And I said, no, not really. Cause we had hung those cedar boughs up and I'm like, I don't really have a shot. So that was kind of the end of the conversation. We sit there and another hour goes by. He goes, another deer coming from the North. And here comes two other does, same path she did, you know, did the same thing, walked on. And as they left, we were like, we got to cut these cedar boughs out of here. Cause if another deer does this and if it's a shooter, you're not gonna be able to shoot back there. And, uh, so I grabbed the, the, I got these little hedge trimmers and I just started trimming a pocket out of those trees, you know, we're skyline now, but I'd rather have been skyline and be able to get an opportunity than miss an opportunity. So trimmed those out and just turned around and got back to you know, just sitting there watching on my phone a little bit. And, um, that was at like two thirty. that was at two thirty, and, uh, we're sitting there and I had a, uh, a coworker text me and he's like, how's the movement going? He was in Missouri. And I remember getting ready to text him back and Casey goes, deer coming from the North. I said, okay. And for some odd reason, you know, when those three deer before passed, I never grabbed my bow or nothing. I had gloves on. I can't shoot with gloves on no matter how much I practice. I hate shooting with gloves on, but I, you know, when those deer passed before, I never took my gloves off and I didn't, I never went for my bow for some odd reason. But when he said this, I took my gloves off immediately, turned around and grabbed my bow. And he mumbled something else. And he's on the backside of the tree facing away from me. So I couldn't hear him say anything. But I thought I heard he said 30. I thought I heard him say buck. It's a buck coming. And I kind of had to lean out from the tree, from our tree and him, because he's like in line where this deer's at from me. And I could see his right side. And I said, holy crap in my head. It's the Hambino. It's the big deer. And uh, he's at 20 yards. And he's doing the same thing these does did. And uh, I said, Case, are you good? And I couldn't hear him because he was on the other side of the tree and everything. I'm trying to communicate with him. And this deer hits our ground scent. He did the same thing the other deer did, except... When he hit our ground set, he turned and walked straight at us. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's – he's." when he turned and walked, I drew. And I said, are you good? And I said, are you good again? And he goes, all I heard was like a mumble, so I took it as like, yes, he's good. So I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, locking myself in now. And uh, he come I, – I, I use a Garmin sight, and I hit the button to get a pin, and it ranged 17 yards. And for some odd reason, I panicked and I said, and I told myself, get your fixed pins up. And if you, if you hit the button twice, it'll bring fixed pins up. So I have my, I have my fixed pins set for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. So I, I put the fixed pins up and I just got all the confidence in the world. I remember having that feeling again, like, okay, no, you're good. Okay. So put your 20 on him and smack him. And he's kind of cornering to us. And if he gets any closer, he's going to be in a hedge apple tree and I'll not be able to shoot him. And I stopped him. And when I stopped him, he kind of opened up a little bit on his left side. And I put it right behind his shoulder and I smacked him and it hit him so hard. It was the hardest arrow I've ever hit, heard hit a deer. He like whirls and he's running straight away from us the way we came in. And I can just see blood just shooting out of his, his left side. I can see the arrow sticking out of his right and blood shooting out of the left side. And he's running and he gets about, I don't know. I don't even know how far he wasn't even down yet. And Casey and I are starting to yell in the tree. Like we did it, you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, 
turn, I turn around and I see him go up a terrace and he goes up another terrace and he's at about 60, 70 yards. And I just see him get the, the low back end and he's just wobbling and he, he piled up right there. And I'm like, I lost it. I absolutely lost it. And just yelling. And I'm like, I even remember yelling. I don't even care that I'm loud now because we're done. <laughs> and, uh, it was just pretty crazy. It got to see him go down and everything. And, you know, at this, at this point, when we first saw him, you know, we were trying to look on film and see what, how many points he had and what he was and everything. And you just couldn't f- figure everything out. But from his frame and everything, you know, we were figuring he's probably going to be like around 170 or something like that. Like we figured he was going to be right in that ballpark. And, and, uh, <laughs> so he goes down and we're sitting there like, I'm calling my wife, I'm calling everybody and, and just, you know, just trying to relay the message to everybody that we just killed the uh, giant, you know, because a lot of our close family and friends, we've been telling throughout the week, you know, we're, we're hunting this deer and we're going to, you know, try to kind of keep it not secret, but like, just like, hopefully it happens, but we're telling everybody close to us. So it happened. And so finally we kind of make all our phone calls in case he goes, I'm going to go down and look at him. I'm like, yes, I'm coming to He goes, Nope, you're not coming. And I go, what do you mean I'm a coming? He goes, I don't want you to, I want your reaction to be the first reaction, you know, when you, when we're on film, he just wanted to go up and make sure everything was good up there and, and see what way the deer was laying and everything for filming purposes. So I stayed in the tree and I watched him the whole way. He walks out there <laughs> and he walked up on him and I couldn't see the deer cause he was over a terrace. And I said, he got up to him and he's looking at him. He didn't touch him or nothing. He just looking. I go, so what do you got? And he goes, He's really big, he says. He just yelled, he's really big. And I go, great, that makes it even better, you know. And uh, so he gets back up in the tree, and we're talking. And, you know, the good thing was is we had all of our angles. We were able to get everything live, which was awesome, you know, because, you know, being a filmer, I like to try to get everything live. I really don't like recreating anything if you don't have to. So I try to get everything live. So that was that was a good thing. We did have over that. So we were like, what do we need? Like, what do we need to film anything else? I'm like, no, like, you know, we, we think we got it all. So like, all right, let's get down. Let's go get him, you know? And, uh, we kind of shedded some layers cause it was so, <laughs> we were so hot and, um, even though it was cold out, but you're just sweating and excitement and everything and walked up on him, man. And it was, when you see the video, the reaction I give is my 100% real reaction. First time I ever saw the deer close up, you know, and I, I lost it. It's, it's pretty crazy. Did you know, like the deer had all the backwards, everything going on? We, you know, we knew, we knew we had something weird going on, but we didn't know what it was like, you know, looking at them, he, he's got a beam and a G2 and he's got three kickers coming off that G2. So literally the right side, he's got like a nine inch brow tine and he's got two kickers off the bases. One's probably, well, I think one's four inches. The other one's about an inch. And then he's just got a G2 and a G3 and a beam. And then off that G2, he's got two kickers <laughs> that are probably six inches a piece. And the other one's probably an inch and a half. So it was pretty crazy. It's just his right side is so wicked, and it? Like, like everybody says, it looks like he grew backwards, and it, it really does. You turn the antlers like he's 
you know, upside down kind of thing. And he's got like his, his beam becomes his G2 and so on and so forth. It's yeah. pretty crazy. I was he's got a lot going on, especially on that side. Like you're just like, yeah. well, like, do you even, I don't even know how you measure that. Like he's just like, well, yeah, I don't have a place to put a third beam down here on the <laughs> score sheet. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a lot of non-typical points. Yeah. Uh, that was the first, you know, when we sent some pictures back to everybody and we're still like, you know, we did all the filming and everything and, and everybody, you know, my buddies and everything, like, what's, what's he going to score? Or like, what, how many scoreable does he have? And I was trying to count him up. I counted 17 scoreable when we were on the ground there. Um, but Casey, he's a certified scorer. When he scored him, um, he had 16 scoreable. And I don't know how he scored him. I didn't even want to know. I filmed him scoring him for me. But uh, I didn't even want to be in the process. I didn't even want to put – like, I didn't even want to be – to be totally honest with you like it wasn't one of the first things i thought of like everybody was asking me and my response to everybody was like i i don't know like i didn't really care you know i don't know why but like i've been wrapped up in it too before you know and we talked about it before recording like it's like you almost you're not accepted unless you kill big animals and what's the score and i just didn't really think of it like i just knew he was big i knew he was just I was trying to like wrap my head around the experience at that time and just kind of take it all in because I wanted it to last so long, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. And you know, and, and Casey actually was the ones like, we need, we need to put a tape on him. You know, we got back to camp and started, you know, getting into the, the oat sodas and the barley pops. And, and he's like, <laughs> you need to, we need to definitely put a tape on him. I'm like, all right, you know, and, and he did. And he's, so there was a whole bunch of guys in camp and he was like, all right, what's everybody's guess, you know, and I guess 176, that's what I guessed, and he ended up being 186, so 186 and two eights is what he ended up net, uh, gr- grossing out, we didn't net him, nets are for fish, I don't really fish, and uh, my philosophy is, if he grows it, give it to him, so. Dude, that, that uh, mass measurement on the right base had to be sick. Yeah, it's uh, both, I think the right one's six and six and three eighths and the left one six and six and an eighth i believe and then he carries i don't have the official score sheet in front of me um but he's got his beams they carry over four and an eighth inch mass throughout both beams all the way out all of his mass measurements um his his you know his good side his normal side his g2 is over 13 his um G3, I think, was over 11, 11 or 12. Or it was 11, I think. Um, he's got a brow that's 9, a brow that's 8. He's got – he's actually got uh, – on his left brow, he's got two two kickers that are – I think they're both 6 inches. Um, so, yeah, he's only 15 and an eighth inch inside spread. He's really narrow. But – and that's what that's what, like – I think got me and why I didn't think he scored that well, like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. He scores really well, but why he wouldn't be that high is because he's really narrow. Um, yeah. It's hard to tell when you get those tight, if you get a wide buck, it automatically looks bigger. Like in my mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's a thing. Like his beams were, one was 22 and some change. The other one was 23 and some. And, uh, yeah, he, so he didn't he, have crazy beams. He just had time length nope. and additional points, really carried him out. Yeah, and a third yep. beam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> third beam. Yeah, and they, <laughs> right. And the good thing with his points and additional points, they're long. I mean, yeah. there's 
there's like four of them that are like six inches long. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that helps really out helps a ton. Out yeah. It's super cool when you get a buck like that. It's got so much character, you know. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Probably... Some people love the that traditional frame. I want. I like stuff that's a little crazy. Yep. So I agree. I, I love freaks, kind of like that, and th- that's what everybody says too. Is like. He's the most, I, you don't even know how many people have said he's the most unique deer I've, they've ever seen. And the cool thing about to me is you'll never see a deer like him, you mm-hmm. know, like no. you, it, you won't. And, um, I don't know. He's just, I'm looking at him right now and he's just really cool to look at. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Man, that's super epic, man. You sound like you had an absolute incredible, I mean, five days, five days, right? Five days. Yeah, honey. I killed him on six on the sixth day. I yeah. saw him on day day three. Saw him day three and four. Or, yeah, saw him on day three for the first time, and then killed him on day six. Yeah, yep. that's epic, man. We've we've always talked about like, well, if you could see a buck, you know, more than once, like, yeah, if we see a buck one time, we have to kill him then, or we're not gonna <laughs> see him again. Yep. It seems like. Yeah, we killed him on the third time. Third time of seeing him, I think. Yeah, it was the third third different time. It was 3.30 in the afternoon, and I believe that first doe that walked by us was his doe, and we're almost positive he went up to that uh, that pond dam and bedded up with her, and he either bred her or was just like, I'm done with you, and he was cruising for another doe. I mean, we had another almost three hours worth of daylight. Like, he was like a midday guy, you know, and yeah. I ended up shooting him at 15 yards. A lot of people and... walking to the stand at 3 o'clock and exactly, getting yeah. set up. Yep, for sure. I... And I, I had to put a lot into, like, our thought process and entry and exit too. I mean, that's, that was key. Like if we would have, if we would have walked in where he, we were pretty sure he was betting, we would have, we would have bumped him for sure. Or walked out that day. We would have for sure bumped him. And we just, we just took it as we got to believe that he's in there. So we got to do this the right way. And, and that's what we did. And I think that's what ultimately killed him is, you know, going the long way around, taking the extra time, even though it's like, you know, you get into the, the season and you take these rotations and it's like your time off from work and stuff like that. And you always, for me anyway, and a lot of guys I talk to, it's like, you're always on a rush. You're always going, going, going. Like, I got to get there. I got to, you know, it's like, take a couple minutes and just assess the situation and, and, and take the right steps to like, you know, I didn't know that deer was there. Like I figured he was there, but you got to take going there as like he is there and you got to do it the right way. And I, I ultimately think that's what helped us out. Yeah, I agree. I don't know how many meet, how many times me and homies talked about access on this. Yeah. That's like your number one. If you can't access a tree or access a stand without bumping it, you don't need to be hunting it unless it's, you know, a couple times a year or something crazy, but you go in that extra, you know, 30 minutes around 25 minutes around to avoid this deer uh was key because if you would have bumped that or even if you would have bumped the doe and that doe would have ran through there and he'd be like okay there's a doe running south now i'm gonna chase her never would have happened so for sure the -hmm. smallest things that make you successful uh we, we talk about a lot it's like you got this huge picture of the season and all this stuff you're gonna do to make you successful but it's those little minute things that you do or don't do that make you successful you know what i mean right so. yep i agree all right man well let's talk about the fall podcast a little bit um where the listeners can find you and uh, then we'll wrap it up yeah for sure um yeah i mean 
uh, coming up on two years now, almost two years, year and a half or a little over a year and a half ago, I started a podcast called The Fall Podcast. And um, you can find it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, um, a lot of there's like 30 different platforms you can follow or, you know, find it on. And uh, I usually try to drop one every Monday Um, during the season. It kind of gets sporadic. It's like trying to get a podcast out. You guys probably know it's like it's hard to stick to a, a regimen and be like, you know, every Monday. But uh, now things are starting to slow down a little bit. So usually every Monday a new podcast comes out and it's all it's all whitetail. It's all tactics and tricks and, you know, and, and different things guys are doing around around the Midwest. And my whole thing coming into it was, you know, I. I was scouring the internet, you know, when my brother-in-law bought this farm that I call the one acre farm, I was scouring the internet one day and trying to find a guy that's got a similar situation to me and what they were doing on their farm. And I could not find it. I couldn't find like a forum or a blog or a podcast or nothing. And I'm like, it kind of like triggered something like, I want to get that story out there and get everybody else's story out there. Like a guy from PA that only hunts 42 acres and this is what it is a guy in Iowa might have that same, you know, something similar to that and can take tactics from that guy and ideas. And that was my kind of plan going forward. And it's kind of expanded into a little bit more, you know, it's gear reviews and, and stuff like that and, and success stories and just, you know, different, different things about the fall, because I mean, the fall, that's why I named it the fall. It's my favorite time of the year. And, uh, and us as hunters, that's, that's our Super Bowl. We, we gear up the whole year for the fall and that's, that's that's the, my favorite time of the year anyway, and that's when we try to make it happen. Oh yeah, yeah. We live. I live for about two months. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, yep, for sure. And then you have a uh, social Facebook at the fall. Your Instagram is ab yep, so, humanimal. A- yep, ab underscore humanimal. Um, I did have a fall podcast page. I shut it down for right now just because it's telling you guys it's just a lot to to do too so i'm just throwing everything on my personal so anything any updates for the fall podcast go to ab underscore humanimal um and you can see what i'm doing on the other side of things like as far as you know work stuff with the Kiefer brothers and humanimal and everything we're doing there and uh facebook i've got the fall podcast page on facebook so you can check it out there and all the episodes go on there as well so if you have Facebook, look up the fall podcast and you can listen to them every Monday there. So yeah. All right, man. We well, congratulations on a legendary buck, um, an epic hunt in Iowa. Um, it sounds like another three, four years, you might be trying to get back out there. It sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like you got the piece to do it on. So yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm putting in for another point here this next year and hopefully in another three years, I'll be out there. So, all right, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, guys. I don't think that you can get much better hunting in five <laughs> or six days than he had. Uh, multiple encounters with shooters. Epic. Um, one of the legendary story for sure and a legendary deer. Um, we had a lot of requests to go back to the Legend series, so we're definitely going to be putting more of these out for you guys. We know that you enjoy these, and uh, I love them too. I love hearing these stories of these yeah. giant deer and uh, – how people get it done so i just i just hope all the listeners are able to go to either our social or um the fall podcast social and really check out this deer it's an absolute 
mega giant. Like his right main beam is going one way and it's going a complete opposite way. So yeah, and those brows um, are epic. So. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a brow guy, you know that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you definitely got to get a really good look at this deer. Um, like like you said in here, he doesn't have many trail cam picks. Just kind of you know seeing them in person, and it's the great Hambino. Yeah, the great Hambino. All right, um, still a lot of season left. Get out there. Um, it's late season. Start thinking. Uh, try to find one of those bucks coming off. Trying to get back on that feed bag. Leave a legacy, and white to legacies out.